This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and happy Monday, or whenever day you're listening to this amazing show. Welcome to the Game Changers audio experience with myself, Adam Strong. Uh, yes, we are live on today's show. I love doing these live shows because we get to interact and engage with you guys that are listening to our multitude of platforms, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be on LinkedIn, whether it be on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is. But we just love engaging with you guys. So today's show is no different from any other show. In fact, this show is actually a fascinating show because it is, we're going to be talking a lot about how to leverage, scale and grow your business through joint venture and partnerships and collaborations, right? We haven't really gone in deep on this show about that and how to really, go, and we're going to be talking with a good friend of mine who I met actually on Clubhouse. We talk, I talk about Clubhouse a lot and, and his name is Sahal Khan. Sahal is, uh, got, he's been in this game for about 15 or 20 years. He is the master of all joint ventures, strategic alliances and collaborations. She's going to share with you guys some great tools, tactics. He's going to share some amazing stories with you guys and how you're effectively going to be able to take some of those tools and tactics and put it into your own business. I'm really looking forward to today's conversations. I really am. So I was going to say for you guys that are listening in live, please do us a favor. If you have any questions, please use the comments in the comment section below and we'll try and get through to your questions as much as we can. Uh, because uh, we get a lot of stuff to get through. We really have got a lot of stuff to go. So who is Sahal? So Sahal is basically the founder of the Joint Venture Group. He's an investor. As I mentioned to you, he also runs some amazing clubhouse rooms. There's one particular club that you guys need to check out. It's called The Pitch Room. And there are investors, angels in there. There's a venture capitalist in there. There's all sorts of people in there that love to hear people's pitches. And I tell you what, there's been a huge amount of the money that's been raised in those pitch rooms that are absolutely fantastic. And they're right on ball. Previous to that, um, Sahal has also been in the, uh, he also created a, an internet training business back in, uh, it was around the 2000s, sold that to a um, IT company, which unfortunately is no longer around and lost everything pretty much. And now has really kind of using the joint venture model as such, blueprint as we like to call it, He's used that and leveraged it to its highest. And uh, he, set, he set himself a, a big challenge of making himself a million dollars using the joint venture blueprint that he's been using. And he actually did that in just 30 days. He actually raised $1.5 million in just 30 days using the joint venture blueprint. He's also the co-author of the book, Guerrilla Marketing. I don't know if you remember that book, Guerrilla Marketing. Fantastic book. And back in also in 2017, only a few, uh, only four years ago, he also sold his consultancy company for an undisclosed eight figure sum. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, right? You need to make sure you've got your notebooks handy because I can tell you now, if you don't have your notebooks handy, okay, you are doing yourselves injustice. All right. Honestly, you really are. 
But listen, I'm really looking forward to, forward to today's conversations. And like I said, uh, if you have any questions, use the, use, use the questions on the questions below and also engage with us. We love that. We love that. Listen, put your, cell, put your, <laughs> put your hands together for my good buddy. Hopefully he's going to be there. Sahal Khan. Sahal. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All good. So listen, I know that you've got a bit of a, what's going to say, you've been in the business world for a best part of 20 years. And, and I mean, it's interesting how you've kind of gone through those, gone through those times and really leveraged joint ventures and acquisitions and partnerships over, you know, for the last 20 years. Where did, where did you just, where did you discover this? I'd love to know more. That's a good question. So I originally trained as an accountant. Um, that was one of my, uh, you know, in my culture, your, uh, you know, your, your parents want you to become something. You're going to be an accountant, a lawyer, a, an astronaut. So I went down the uh, route. I was very good at numbers when I was at school. I was a proper geek at school. So um, I pursued that, uh, became uh, an accountant and then uh, a management consultant. So uh, I spent a lot of time uh, doing that and I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest with you. It was, uh, for me, I thought I had a calling that there was more to the thing in an office nine to five. So I left that um, high paying job um, uh, and um, I pursued uh, a career in, uh, in IT, in information technology. So. Um, I wrote a thesis. The thesis was called The Impact of the Internet on the Manufacturing Industry. Uh, I did my master's and then um, my professor put my thesis online. And if you know back then, we didn't have search engines. We had things called bulletin boards, which shows you how old I am when it comes to the internet, <laughs> right? And um, people started reaching out to me. Yeah, people started reaching out to me. I had um, I had uh, internet. I had internet companies, dot com companies. I had investors reaching out to me saying, "Hey, read your thesis with uh, uh, you know um, a great interest. Come and talk to us about how you think this new thing called the internet is going to help us um, commercially." So there I was, um, uh, straight after I did my masters, going out and consulting with some uh, some very big companies. One of my first clients was a company I've, you might have heard of, QVC dot com. Yes. Um, I helped yes. them with their e commerce uh, implementation um uh, many many years ago and um from there basically it just happened and one of the things that i did while i was uh, consulting uh, for these companies was i created a a, a website um where it was an e-commerce website and we were selling uh, pdf computer training courses and basically people would come mm -hmm. to the website they would select the pdf course they want put it in their shopping basket and then they were to the transactional line. So e-commerce basically um, was what it was called back then and, and still is now. And it's amazing, actually, because back, back then, you know, 2008, uh, 2009, um, uh, it's quite amazing that now e-commerce is the one of the biggest things on the planet. Right. So we were doing it this is. many, many years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, we started doing that. Uh, we started helping um, a lot of the, uh, the these companies. And, um, uh, you know, this was basically 1999 before the uh, before the before the, the the dot com bubble burst and before we had Y2K. So we had a lot of what we had a lot of big uh, dot com companies paying us money, forty fifty thousand dollars for um, which which basically was internet consulting. And then uh, the big the the big bubble happened. Uh, it burst in 2000. We lost all our clients. Uh, we lost a lot of consulting clients. And obviously, because of Y2K, no one wanted to uh, work with uh, computer consultants or um, uh, IT consultants because we were to blame for Y2K. Right. Mm. So we had to figure, figure out what else can we do. So we had this little computer training website making us a couple of thousand dollars a month. And that is when I came across a book early 2000 uh, by who actually is one of my mentors. 
was a guy named Jay Abraham. It was a book called Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got. Yeah. And I highly recommend everyone listening to this. Go out and get that book. That book inspired me and taught me the power of joint ventures and strategic partnerships. And what Jay said in that book really, really hit home. He said, you can actually approach someone and you can get them to promote and sell your product or service without any cost up front. Um, and uh, uh, by applying their the uh, their resources, right, complementary resources. So for me, it's like, wow, this is amazing. We don't have to spend any money on marketing and advertising. We can grow a business by doing strategic partnerships. So the first partnership I did uh, back in uh, early 2000 was with one of the largest IT recruitment uh, agencies in Europe. We approached them and said, hey, we've got this computer training website with all these computer training courses. Right now, you just have one revenue stream, and that is our, our, that is IT recruitment. Right now, there is no, there are no IT jobs because of Y2K. Let me show you how I can help you create an additional revenue stream. So I had a meeting with them. I said, and they said, what is it? I said, it's basically a strategic partnership, a joint venture. If you joint venture with us um, uh, and you can endorse our courses to your database, they had 100,000 IT professionals in their database. I said, nice. whatever sales come through, whatever sales come through from that will give you a percentage. So that was the first JV that I ever did, um, the, the, the first successful JV. And let me tell you, give me some, give me some numbers. In the first year of our little computer training website, we did about fifty, sixty thousand dollars. In our second year, with this one strategic partnership, we went from sixty thousand dollar turnover to just under four hundred thousand dollar turnover, just wow. from one strategic partnership. So that for me was, wow, this is amazing. I, I, I've got to do more of these strategic partnerships. So that is where it all started from. That's interesting. I love that. What a great story to kick it off. I love that, guys. And so so that particular company, though, what was that database? Was it about sort of half a mil? That, that company had 100,000 IT professionals on their database. So that was the first JV I did. Um, and then let me tell you about some of the other stuff that I've done using JV. So mm. the whole industry changed and now people now people were doing video based training. OK, and this was 2002. So, yep. again, video based training back in 2002, a video is all the rage now, especially video training. It's, uh, you know, e-learning uh, is is, uh, again, a big thing. So back then, you know, people were creating video courses. We went out and we did some um, uh, research and it, it cost. It was the cost to create an e-learning module was astronomical back then. Nowadays it's easy. Everyone has a mobile phone. You can pick it up. You you have an app. You can video. You can make videos. You can sell courses online. Back then we didn't have any of that. It was basically you need coders. You need software designers yeah. to design 3D learning. So um, we looked at the cost and it was ex very expensive. And our competitors had over 150 video courses. We couldn't compete with that. So again, I went back to the book, Jay Abraham. And one of the things that Jay Abraham spoke about, again, was something called licensing. Um, licensing is an avenue for you to take something from somebody else that's proven and successful and license that product or service as your own, right? And go out and sell that product or service. So we did that. We approached a company in America. We said, hey, we're in the UK and Europe. We want to license your uh, video courses uh, in, in the UK. Um, uh, how can we do that? So they said, look, it's simple. Uh, you need a license for that, and uh, license is going to cost you $100,000, and we can get started. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to spend any money up front. I want to try and see if we can create a collaboration here. So I jumped on a plane. I flew to the U.S. Um, I went to go and see this this company, very successful, multi-million dollar training company, uh, led by a female CEO. And um, I remember, still remember that, sitting in the office waiting for her to come out of a meeting, 
and I was in her office looking at her bookshelf and I saw all these really cool books from Dan Kennedy, Joe Vitale, and I spotted one particular book, a book by Jay Abraham. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> she's going to know. Yeah, she's going to know about strategic partnerships. So we sat down, we had a conversation. I said, look, I, I'll guarantee you I will make more than $100,000 in the next couple of weeks for you if we can do some sort of deal here. So we ended up doing a licensing deal. I paid her $10,000 up front as a goodwill payment and um, flew back to the UK. And now we had over 150 titles all branded, licensed under our name. And that year, we did over a million uh, a million turnover. We hit seven big turnover that year because of this uh, re- of, the, of the training courses we had. And the cost... For us to hit a million, guess what that cost was? $10,000. So see, this is leverage, right? This is what I call leverage, yeah. $10,000 is what it cost me to get that in. If we had created that all those training programs ourselves, it would have cost us over a couple of hundred thousand dollars easily. That would have been all the research and development and all the costs. But instead, I went to someone else who has a proven, tested program which was already certified it was already it was being used by the u.s government the u.s army so we had all those testimonials built in so when people came to us and they said oh what do you, what's unique about you compared to this other competitor i said well you know who uses our training the u.s government the uh, the, the u.s army pentagon use our training yeah. so you know testimonials like that are powerful because of our partnership and our collaboration with this business in the US. I love it. You know what's really interesting about what you just said as well, because, uh, and, and you've highlighted this in this call, right? About the fact that when someone writes a testimonial about your course, your product, your service, you, it's 10 times more powerful than it just coming from you. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Correct. And and, and, and you can leverage that, but you can leverage that by using other people's resources. This is the whole point of strategic partnerships. What you're doing is you're leveraging somebody else's resources. They are actually endorsing you at the same time. So, um, le- uh, so moving forward to uh, 2006, right? So uh, I was reading something called the Sunday Times Fast Track, um, uh, and it's a magazine that shows you the hundred fastest growing companies in an industry. So we were obviously in IT. So I spotted a hardware company that sold computer hardware. They had 500,000 customers and they were a nine figure business. Now I approach them the same way. And this is what I do for everyone listening. My approach is very simple. I say this, if I could show you how to create an additional uh, revenue stream without increasing your overhead, would you be interested? That's always been my proposition. It's like people are like, (laughs) huh? So I don't have to spend more money, but I can make more money. And that's what gets them. So, I got this meeting with this uh, a company, uh, nine-figure business, 500,000 uh, uh, customers, and they they created computer hardware like um, a PCs, laptops. Remember, we were in the e-learning, we were in the e-learning software space. So this was a, this was a perfect partnership for us to get all of our e-learning software actually uh, um, uh, um, uh, into their hardware. So every time a laptop or, or PC went out, it had our e-learning software built in like, like Microsoft do, right? Um, so I got this uh, meeting with these um, uh, company. It was a family run business run by a chairman and CEO, father and son. I got to the meeting, I sat down and um, I started talking. I was talking for 15 minutes. I said, look, we've done a couple of really great strategic partnerships and they've been very successful and we'd like to do the same with you. So I got 15 minutes into my uh, pitch and then the um, the CEO, who was the son, got up and said, so hell, we're not really interested in doing a partnership with you. 
And I was like, huh? Oh, I must have said something either to upset upset them or I was trying to figure out what I said that was wrong. Sure. The chairman, father, the chairman got up and said, well, so hell, we're not actually interested in doing a partnership with you. We're actually interested in acquiring you. So I was like, mm, okay. So so by then I had two more partners and we uh, we had an exit strategy about three years down the line. So I went back and I said to my partners, look, what should we do? They want to buy us because this, this was this was a company that had a, a very um, strong balance sheet, a lot of cash. They were just going out buying companies and acquiring companies. So, um, and this was 2006. So I said to them, I said to them, what should, what should we do? So we sat down, we said, look, this is our baby. We're in the corporate space. They're in the, uh, we're in the B2B, they're in the B2C space. They want to acquire right. us because they want a corporate arm. So I said, let's do this. Let's not sell 100%. Let's sell a, 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 let's sell a stake. So we negotiated with them and we ended up selling a majority stake to them, part cash, part equity. And uh, um, now we became part of a nine-figure business. I sat on the board of a nine-figure business and we all became multimillionaires overnight from that, uh, from that deal. And then in, and then in 2008, um, I, had a, I had a strategy to basically um, uh, um, reti not retire, but I was going to cash out. I was, uh, I was going to work from 2006, build a business to 2008. And I was going to say, you know what, I want to do, I, I, it's time for me to do something else. So in 2007, I stepped down as a uh, managing director. So I started working um, on the business rather than in the business. We doubled the business in 2007. 2008 came across. And as you know, what happened in 2008 around the world, we had the dreaded recession. So one morning we all got called into the office. The chairman of the group that owned our business said, guys, I've got some bad news. Um, we've decided to liquidate the group. And I was like, oh shit, where does this leave us? So they had a conversation the night before, something happened. We have no idea to this day what it was. It could have been a tax issue. It was something that forced them to liquidate the whole group. But what the chairman said to me that day was, don't worry, because uh, we're gonna form what is known as a Phoenix Corporation. And then a Phoenix Corporation is basically what they call uh, a company that rises from the ashes. So they were going to transfer all the assets across from one company to a new entity and start again and, and dump the old one right under a new brand. But my idea was, look, if you could do this to us and you could do this to my business, what are you, what are you guys going to do down the line? So I said, sorry, but yeah, I don't trust you guys anymore. I cannot work with someone who has literally just decimated a business that had like a 92 93% profit margin e-learning software business. They basically killed the business. So um, wow. one of the biggest mistakes, I, one of the biggest mistakes I made was, uh, and along with a couple of my other partners, is that we all signed we all signed guarantees with the bank because we thought this group had been around for 25 years, and we were like, there's no way they could go bust. They've been around for 25 years. So overnight, bang, they went because as you know, during the recession, a lot. Of brands went under as well so there i was um there was a big debt to be paid we were all liable and guess who the bank came after they came after the guy with the most assets me a guy with a 15 bedroom mansion a guy with a couple of ferraris a couple of porsches a bentley so basically one of the biggest mistakes i made back then was um when i was a lot younger i was very much um ego driven I, want, I just wanted to be rich. Now I, I'm older, I know the difference between being rich and having wealth. 
right? Or accumulating wealth. Back then, I was like, I want, I want the big house, I want all the cars. Uh, you can probably see the pictures on the internet. I was living in a 15 bedroom mansion. I had all the cars and whatever. I mean, our group even had um, a private jet. So uh, this is how much wow. back then, uh, this, wow. uh, yeah, the, the, the ego thing was, was crazy. So there I was. Um, uh, I was the first person they came to. And um, I, I, had a, I had a choice. Either I liquidate my assets and negotiate with the bank or I file for bankruptcy, but I would have lost everything anyway. So uh, I ended up negotiating with the bank um, and uh, liquidating my assets and paying them off. And I was literally left, left with nothing. I went from multimillionaire wow. to broke in a very, very short space of time. And let me tell you, um, in my in my career, when I used to speak on big stages, I, learned, I met a lot of people in the audience who... Um, mm. Um, were much richer than I was. I mean, I was eight figures, and um, they have never been able to recover from losing wow. so much money, right? Wow. And it, it is it is very stressful because what happens is when you lose everything, you still have um, you still you're still living that lifestyle, right? And you still have those expenses and what have you. So you're in survival mode. That's what happens. So for yeah. me, it was like, look, I don't know what to do. So luckily, I came back home um, uh, to uh, the family home, and the funny thing was, my mum bless her kept my room exactly like it was because one day she knew my son would come back home and i always i always i always tell, I always tell that joke on stage i always tell that joke on stage and I said, you know what it was exactly like like i left it but she knew i was coming back home so there i was luckily i had i had a roof over my head however however i was um i was very depressed i went through i went through a stage of depression uh big time depression i was like i don't know what to do um what are, what are my choices I wasn't as depressed as in I want to take my life, but I was like, I don't know what to do. I mean, um, mm. do I just give it up and uh, go and do something else? Uh, go, you know, go to Africa and volunteer and just forget about business. Or right. one of these entrepreneurs that, that, that makes a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, look, that what can I sense. do? So I sat there and I still remember. Um, yeah. I still remember my mother said to me, look, um, what are you going to do now? And I said, look, I'm, right now i can't go any lower there's only one way i can go and that is up and then she also said to me look just because you don't have the fancy bank account you don't have the, the big mansion you don't have all the cars you still have everything in here that allowed you to yeah. build uh, that business and, and and become that person so she goes i'm sure if you wanted to you could do it again so um one of the things that happened to me that led me through a through a, a, a different path was in the same area all my old friends from school and college uh, were still living in the area. And they had their nice houses, nice cars, married. They had, they had kids. They had a family. And, you know, they would, uh, they would talk to me and say, Sahel, um, actually, this was a funny thing. Not one of them would say to me, I'm really sorry to hear what happened to you. Uh, I'm sure everything will be okay. No. Their, their thought to me was, <laughs> you should have stayed in your job as a management consultant. Yeah. They said, why do you leave your job? Yeah. You should have stayed in your job as a management consultant. You had a good salary. You had good security. I don't know why you went and, and, and set up your own business because it's risky. Every single one of them. And it made me feel really, really bad. It made, it, made, it made me feel like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Not one of these, my friends, right, local mm. friends, has anything mm. to say of what I've been through and what I'm going through. So I, I basically had to disappear. So I went and I spent some time in a monastery, right? For me, it was like, I've got to go. I want to go somewhere when nobody talks to me. Where can I go when nobody <laughs> talks to me? A monastery, right? So I was like, I've got to try this. So I- so, Monk so Khan, Monk Khan, everyone, Monk Khan. 
yeah 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 it was it was amazing right because i i, I it was amazing and I, I i was taught a lot from these guys i mean they gave me access to this library they had and in that library they had every single every single um uh literature from religion to philosophy to everything and i was really surprised because i thought you know when you look at other religions you think they just uh, they just like to um uh, promote their own religions right True. but these guys were True. clever they studied different religions they studied different literature yeah philosophy so it was amazing time for me and i sat there and i thought to myself okay what what do i need to do now right what do i need to do and one of the things they taught me was to control my thoughts right because one of the things they used to um uh, mention was you know thoughts control things so they mm. would say um you know you have the ability to control your thoughts which controls your outer environment also so uh it was amazing so uh, you know i got taught this uh, uh technique this strategy of how to basically live inside my mind and i know it sounds really bizarre because i always do i always say this on a, on a podcast it's like i have the ability if my if the world was ablaze around me i wouldn't feel the heat or the flames because i'd be living inside my mind right so i've managed Love to it. really confine that and uh, yeah and and and, and fine tune that to a state where um i um just i can live in my mind basically and i can create my own world inside my mind i don't physically have to have that outside of my body and the other thing also i said to people is you have you need to have a good belief system right and this is what i think mm. saved me and my belief system is obviously based on my religion based on my religion and what it teaches me is that this world is temporary the uh, final destination is going to be uh, not in this world it's going to be uh, after in the next life where you obviously live eternally right so what that means is that whether you succeed or fail in this world it doesn't matter so don't beat yourself up that you didn't become a millionaire or a billionaire or you didn't get to drive a lamborghini didn't get to own a ferrari didn't get to uh, 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 own a mansion don't beat yourself up because that is not what matters what matters is what you leave behind when you leave this world right so you've got to basically focus your efforts and your energies on making a difference that can be carried on when you are not here so that is the greatest thing that you can do so for me that is what my my uh, my pathway is now it's like okay um uh, you know uh, i i i'm going to do i'm, I'm just going to go out and do stuff i don't really give a shit i'm going to say look my <laughs> philosophy nowadays is what 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 would i do my philosophy is what would i do if i knew i could never fail that's yeah. how i approach every single thing in my life because failure is nothing for me it's experience and the thing is if i succeed or fail it doesn't really matter because exactly. that is not my directive of being <laughs> on this planet right my no. directive on this planet is to do stuff and to make a a, a bloody difference yeah. right you know and leave something behind leave something behind that people can continue even when i'm not here so that's one of the that's one of the major things that has really made uh, uh you know made me uh you know what i am today this is what you know what i love about this conversation right because i mean i was listening i was listening to your conversation with uh with our good friend nick bradley now i thought that was a fantastic conversation that you guys had and like him we share the same we, me and nick share the same values you know, with family, uh, family guys, you, you're, you're a father as well. Mm. You know, we, we share the same values and I love some of the things that you, you were having from the conversation. So I want to, want to take my hat off to you, Nick, as well, for having a great conversation with, uh, with Salhao, because I think that, that, that to me, you know, from someone that went from ego driven, which is what you were to someone that is now what I call more purposeful and impactful that 
to me is like, that's like, like a hundred steps of growth. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's insane. Um, I mean, listen, hats off to you for that. I think that's fantastic. Mm. I think that's a great stuff. Listen, I want to ask you, I want to ask you something because I know that all of this joint venture stuff, all this strategic partnership stuff, it sounds really easy. You make it sound so freaking easy, right? And I know what some of our listeners are thinking. They're thinking, this guy, he's like a superman. Like I literally like that the mindset is is that i don't have the balls to go out and just ring up a company or say hey can i become one of your licensees or can i become one of your street like you do because you've effectively created a blueprint that works for you mm. but what would what what's what's your advice for for some of our listeners that are that already created what i call these negative judgments and they've already created a judgment based around you know, what they're thinking in their head rather than what actually, rather than actually approaching them, you know, assuming that it's going to fail at the first hurdle. Any thoughts there? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we had, I had a conversation this morning on Clubhouse about this, about triggers and about mm. negativity uh, and the psychology behind it. So I think one of the things you've got to do, you've got to surround yourself with positivity. And how do you do that? You've got to either, number one, get yourself a mentor. Or number two, uh, get into a community of people that are doing uh, the right things and the good things. Only then will you be able to move forward because we always question ourselves because there's nobody else there to question us. There's nobody else there to support us. There's nobody else there to uh, rally us. We, in, in essence, uh, and especially entrepreneurs, man, we've got, to, we've got to rally ourselves, you know? We don't have anyone behind us. You know, we don't have a team. We don't have like a team meetings. We don't have... Uh, you know, we don't have um, fans. Um, some of us have followers, but we don't really have fans who really, really understand us. You know, uh, as entrepreneurs, we're always uh, on our own. So I think you've got to surround yourself with the right people. And uh, I think also um, one of the things that I would always say is at least have one high level conversation every day, at least one high level conversation every day, you know, and like we've got things like Clubhouse, we've got Instagram, we've got so much social media platforms. Make some friends, get in the right community and just reach out to people. Have one yeah. powerful conversation every day. And I guarantee you, you will easily um, uh, get rid of that negativity because you'll see what people are doing, how they're doing it. And then you know that you could succeed by doing the same thing. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say, and, and that's a great, some really great points there as well, is the other thing I was going to say is study what the other people are doing, because if it's working for them, it's work, it's going to work for you. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. And I think you've got, well, you, you, look, yeah. And I think also, I think, I, I think also, I think also you've got to go out and actually do it. That's the thing, right? So many people I meet, I talk to, they study, they study, they read, they read, they study, they the read now i have the mindset yeah you've got the mindset but what about the implementation so yeah. i think you have to at least try something if you can't try one thing every day try one thing every week try one new thing every month you know do something you know uh, new challenge yourself and the thing is it's not failure it's experience you know the more you True. do something uh the more the, the more the, the more better you will become at it as well so you know, it's, it's, it's a great point you make there. And last week I was actually talking, um, what, what was I speaking about? It was sometime last week, but I was talking about the difference between implementers and sponges, right? <laughs> a sponge is someone that basically absorbs, right? And doesn't do a lot, right? They just absorb and they just kind of absorb all the information. They listen in and they nod their heads thinking, oh, that's a great idea. But then 
when it comes to practical application, that's where their downfall is and they just don't move forward. So guys, if you're listening in, don't become a sponge like many other people do. <laughs> Listen, um, here's an interesting point because I know that some of the listeners that are listening in are not well-known in their industry. They're not what we call influencers or thought leaders. Um, and again, you know, I, I think one of the great conversations that you had with Nick was around the whole kind of, you know, what can I do? How can I use my credibility, maybe a pitch or whatever it is? How do you approach, how should they approach joint ventures and partnerships if they don't have the necessary industry credibility? That's a good question. And, you know, one of the uh, powerful things about collaborations is that you can um, leverage other people's credibility and other people's fame. So mm. uh, and I'll give you an example. At the beginning, I was virtually unknown. You know, nobody knew who I was. And I still remember that time. And um, I'll tell you more about my comeback story. And they will relate to how that um, I got the invite. So basically, um, you know, straight after I lost everything, um, mm. I set myself a challenge. I came back and I was refreshed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to set myself a challenge um to to make a, a million dollars in 12 months i'm going to do like five or six joint ventures because i've done it before right so i set myself right. a challenge but then i ended up doing one joint venture deal in 30 days that maybe just over 1.5 million dollars and that is how i came back very very quickly so and a lot of people don't recover after they lose everything they don't recover so for i was very fortunate that not so long after i lost everything i came back and i made that um, uh, I made that um, a goal. Uh, I made that promise to myself. I ended up doing just one JV deal in 30 days, that made me $1.5 million. And that put me on the map, right? So what happened was I was talking about it on social media. Someone reached out to me and said, hey, come to our summit in the US. I want you to speak on stage about how you lost everything and you came back. So for me, that was an opportunity, right? So I flew to the US. Nobody knew, knew who I was. I was a nobody. So I was on stage uh, at this big event in the US. I spoke about my story and my journey. Everyone clapped. I came off the stage and uh, three people walked up to me and said, hey, come and sit with us. We want to ha have a chat with you. So these three people were, the, were some big gurus in the internet marketing space, uh, especially in the joint venture space. I, and I didn't, even, you know, I didn't know who they were. But they were the, at that time, they were the three biggest gurus in that space. They sat down and said, look, we want to help you, right? Um, nobody knows who you are, but everyone knows who we are. How do you fancy coming together with us and creating something that we can do uh, based on joint ventures? So we set up something called the Joint Venture University. We all got together and it was three of the biggest internet marketing gurus and there was little old me in the middle there as well. <laughs> and that is how I became joint venture expert because I was the only one on that program that had the British accent. They were all Americans. And um, uh, my name was attached yeah, yeah, yeah. My name was attached to theirs. So it's like it's like seeing a billboard when you go yeah. and see a rock concert, right? It's it's blah, blah, blah. And then my name's there as well. Nobody knows who I am. But because I have my name next to like, let's say, Mick Jagger or whatever, right. or these rock stars, people assume I'm a rock star as well. So that <laughs> is uh, leveraging credibility through collaborations and partnerships. So one of the mm. things that you can do, if you're not the authority in your space, approach someone who is and say, hey, mm. 
Uh, uh, one of the things that I did earlier on also is interviews. You know, if you interview people in their space, you will also become known as an expert in the space also. So people have done that. Mm-hmm. It's a strategy that a lot of people have done uh, by doing expert interviews, right, and becoming an authority. And then I think the way I became really well known, especially in the US, I, w- I became the number one joint venture expert around the world. Uh, and the number one joint venture speaker in the US because um, uh, that's what I was doing. I was uh, after that I got invited to so many events to speak about my story. Uh, uh, you know, uh, events from you know a couple of hundred people in a room to a couple of thousand people in a stadium. So um, I really built my credibility through becoming the joint venture expert. And to be honest with you, if you go back through the internet and have a look over the last 15, 20 years, I've never ever done anything different i've always done joint ventures and strategic partnerships and consulting in that space so i've never deviated like a lot of people mm. nowadays they're an expert in one thing but then when some shiny object comes they become an expert <laughs> in that i've never done that True. i've always been True. synonymous yeah and that's why people reach that's why people reach out to me because they do their research and say you know what? there's only one joint venture expert and that's you uh, we looked at all your videos spanning back the last 10 15 20 years and yeah. you've been consistent and this is what you do. And and like I say, you know, nowadays I'm semi-retired. You know, I sold my last consulting business in 2017 for eight figures. That was a partnership as well. You know, I mm. created a, a methodology, a, a training program. Uh, I partnered with uh, one of the largest sales training organizations in North America. We did a 50-50 uh, strategic partnership and they licensed all my material. And then they wanted 100% of the pie. So they said, you know what? We, we like the 50% deal, but now we want 100%. So how much, what do you want for the for your IP? So I sold the IP to them. A couple of years before that, they made me an offer. I said, you know, if you put another zero at the end, I'll think about it. And then a couple of years later, they came back and they put another zero. And it was eight figures. And then 2017, I made the decision to basically sell. I sold my IP and then I retired in 2017. So you know, I've got two young kids. I, I spend a lot of time with my kids and my family. And, um, uh, you know, that's what it is now. So I, I'm really here Love to it. give back. And Clubhouse has also, has also been fantastic. Again, Clubhouse is another collaboration, another joint yes. venture. I am not yes. the expert in the room. I'm not a VC. Mm-hmm. I'm not really like an angel, in a, a well-known agent investor. But on the stage, but in my community, on the stage, We've got a couple of billion dollars worth of funds under management from VCs and angel investors. So all I've done is, as I do, I'm a joint venture broker. I broker deals. I train other joint venture brokers around the world as well. This is what we do. And we just, we just, I'm just a facilitator. I brought everyone together. I've created a collaboration. And we, 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 we uh, launched the Pitch Club. Uh, on Clubhouse, we now have 55,000 members, and we are actually the largest pitch room on Clubhouse. And that is all from everyone else, really, because they are the experts. I'm just the facilitator. I am the JV yeah. guy, right? You're you're the glue. You're the glue, as they like to call it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, listen, here's a here's a really interesting thing uh, for me, Sahal. Over the last 18 months, I've discovered something absolutely amazing right which is all around building a tribe right building a tribe and and obviously it takes it takes some work to build a tribe right but i'd like to know from you sahal right what are the links between building a tribe and using the tactics of scaling up through partnerships any thoughts there that's a really good question um i think one good thing with building a tribe is and i'll give you an example i disappeared mm. off the radar in 2000 
2017. Um, and then I came back, I got bored, came back out of retirement in 2019. Now, because of my tribe and because of my following, I managed to carry on where I left off, right? So that's the power of a tribe. The power of a tribe is um, is, is is having access to that. And, and it, it, it's again, uh, if I disappeared for a year and came back, nothing would have changed. So having a tribe is very important. Having a following is very important. Having consistency in your brand is very important. So I think a tribe is very important to have because you need to have that. And for example, when remember when uh, recently Facebook went down, Instagram went down, WhatsApp went down, people were freaking out. And everyone must have been getting e emails from people saying, hey, you should have had an email list. You should have had an email list. Your email list is also your tribe, right? Because that is how True. we keep in touch with people. When I disappeared for two years, I would periodically, every three months, still keep in touch with my people and say, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm currently doing. I did a couple of surveys. So I still kept in touch with my tribe, even though I was nowhere to be seen. So mm -hmm. having a tribe is very, very important. And I think for, for me, um, it's been able to be a godsend for me. Uh, I've been around for 15, 20 years doing the same thing day in, day out. So, um, and there's still a demand for what I do. So I think it's very important. Strategic partnerships are great also. Strategic partnerships are great to scale, okay, and grow. Um, if, for example, even if you have a startup, for example, you can scale and grow a startup very quickly with strategic partnerships. Strategic partnerships are always going to be out there. So you can always find a good strategic partnership or a good strategic partner. And what I tend to do, my, my strategy with strategic partnerships is acquisition, right? Is to be acquired by your strategic partner. So Nick, for example, this is why I love him to death. Him and me, we have the same brainwaves. And I am, hopefully, fingers crossed, if I can do it, I want to plan something with Nick and we want to plan on doing some sort of mastermind where we are going to show people, uh, this is just off the top of my head, how to grow and scale uh, using um, strategic partnerships and acquisitions and also to exit. So for me, the most important thing I say to people is, look, everyone talks about recurring income, right? Recurring income is good, but you're still on the, on the, on the bloody hamster wheel because you have Sorry. to maintain that recurring income right? A lot of people who have membership sites, for example, you've got to create content, content, content. And I can't do that. I am very lazy where <laughs> I am right now, because for me, I don't need to work. I don't need the money. And I don't really want to do, you know, I, I don't want to do more, put it that way. But when it yeah. comes to um, strategic partnerships, it's very easy. So for me, I, wanna, I say to people, look, if you want to build a real business, build a business that you can eventually sell and then just sit on your backside and just and just decide what you want to do in your life you know mm. if you want to take time off if you've got kids and a family and you don't want to work don't work if you want to just dabble and you're not afraid to um uh, to um to uh, uh to to experiment with new things like nfts for example right yeah you can do that because you have money in the bank you don't have to run a business again. You don't have employees. You don't have staff. You can do whatever the hell you want. So that's my, um, my um, uh, what I would call my philosophy on business is build, grow, scale a business, whether that's via strategic partnerships or via acquisitions, and then just sell it, you know, cash out and then just take some time off because, you know, we're not getting any younger. And the thing is, especially if you have a family, most entrepreneurs that I know that are building businesses, and are making loads of money, they have a family to support, right? 
And it's True. a constant True. hamster wheel for them. That's what it is. You don't see it on social media. Uh, they True. portray that they're making money, and they are. I speak to these guys all the time. Every week, one or two multimillionaires get on a phone call with me and have a conversation about how can they cash out? How can they mm. leave this rat race? One person right now, and I'm not going to mention her name, is doing, is doing very, very well. I think she's making a couple of million dollars a month, right? She's very well known on social media. I have regular conversations with her. She goes to hell, help me sell my business. Help me exit this. It's just, I feel like I'm on a bloody hamster wheel, you know? <laughs> but the other thing that I was going to say as well is using the formula, what I've called o, uh, OPM, other people's money, acquiring through using other, other people's money. And I think that's what you were talking about with you and Nick, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the ways that we say is that you can acquire somebody else's uh, resources, like their customer database and their list, but you only acquire it on a temporary basis. Another way in terms of what Nick teaches is you can acquire a business, absorb that revenue income, that um, a goodwill, those testimonials. You can also absorb the, the customer into your business. So for example, a lot of people have approached me recently and said, look, we've, we've, we've just launched this business. We're doing really, really well. Do you recommend we go down the acquisition route to build this business and acquire more customers through acquisition? So this is what mm -hmm. highly uh, things that Nick uh, teaches, for example, and it's very similar. So another aspect is if you acquire a business and you want to grow that business, then you can use strategic partnerships to go out mm -hmm. and create more business for that business, to boost that business, and then to flip that business. So there's love so it. many different avenues to doing this. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. it. Here's another thing that I had in my because, I mean, you must have been sat around the table, I don't know, hundreds of times with companies, with investors, with joint venture, joint, you know, capital ventures, whatever it might be. You must have spent hundreds of thousands of conversations. Mm. My question to you is, when do you walk away from a, from a, when do you walk away? When you, when do you know if it's a good deal or a bad deal? When, what, what, what are, the, what are some of the warning signs that you look, that you walk away? Because I know that there are some people out there and they get around, say, uh, I don't know, they get around a table with some investors. They're pitching that they're, say they're raising money or raising capital for their business or whatever it might be. And for whatever reason, they, they don't walk away or they, they think they're thinking in their head. They're thinking to themselves, is this a good deal? Is this a bad deal? Whatever it is. But tell, have you got any stories to share about some of the times where you've walked away from the table where you thought, you know what, this is a bad deal. And this is the reason why. Any, any thoughts there? You know what? Suppose recently I bid on a, a Ferrari F40, one of my dream cars, and the bidding went through the roof. Uh, it went way through the roof. It went basically more than double than what I was prepared to pay, wow. but I was still in the game. But I had to walk away because I had to walk away because that's when emotion takes over, right? So you've got to be careful. What you've got to establish is you've got to know what you can afford to comfortably lose. That's what you've got to know. You've got to know what that bottom line is, right? Mm. And when you go into negotiation like that, you've got to stick to your guns. You've mm. got to have a minimum requirement. And also in a negotiation, you've got to also make it look like the other side or the other party is winning. So you've got to have your minimum requirement because what happened in a negotiation like that, the other party wants to win. I mean, everyone wants to win in a deal, right? But what you've yes. got to be able to do is you've got to be able to come in and you've got to know what that what your minimum is that you're prepared to walk away with. 
and stick to that. Even if it sounds like the other party have got more or got one over you, at the end of the day, you got what you wanted at the minimum requirement that you were prepared or even the maximum requirement that you were prepared. You've got to have that in there and then you can walk away. And if they feel they've won the deal, it doesn't matter because you've got the deal also at that you know, maximum um, uh, point that you were prepared to go to. So I'd say, you know, that is what I would recommend. Love it, love it, love it. Here, here's another thing as well. The other thing I was going to say is, how do you control your emotions? Uh, because I know that uh, I guess, I guess when you first went into the joint venture uh, strategic alliance game, I guess, you, I guess you must have been quite emotional when it came to the outcome of you know whatever it is that you were pitching for or whatever it is that you were presenting for. Do you have any advice of people that are? I wouldn't say they're what I call a, a big bag of emotions, but what would you, what advice do you have for people that are, you know, that take things too personal? Do you know what I mean? And, and, and really think about the emotional side of stuff. Any thoughts there, Sal? I think with me, what, the, uh, the way I was planning, and you've got to have experience. You've got to have experience to be able to control those emotions. If you're an emotional person, it's very difficult to do for the offset. But you've got to have a focus. You've got to have a fixed focus on something. So, again, like I say, this is why you need to have a belief system, whether it's religious, whether it's scientific, whether it's whatever it is, non-religious. You need to have a belief system that you can hold on to when everything around you falls down, right? So it's very important you have that. So build a belief system, regardless of whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a religious belief system, but you need to have a belief system that basically allows you to hold on to that belief system and grasp that belief system and it gives you the ability to walk away from certain situations or control certain situations. You know, it's interesting because I know that uh, one of our um, friends, actually, Simon Ong, who actually talks about belief systems a lot. He's on Clubhouse a lot with us and things like that. He talks a lot about uh, belief systems and the importance of belief systems in place and whatever it is. So I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. I suppose we're coming towards the end of our interview. And and I suppose the other thing that I wanted to ask you really was, I suppose in order uh, for me, like uh, same for you, I'm sure that you turn on your computer in the morning and then you've already got half a dozen opportunities. You've already got half a dozen people approaching you, whatever it might be. Right. But let me ask you a question. How do we become, how do people that are listening in, whether you be an entrepreneur, investor, whatever it might be, <coughs> How do we become more aware of the opportunities that are out there? Because I think perceptual awareness is so important in, in the game of business and entrepreneurship. What's your advice for people that want to, that, you know, they, they might think that there's no opportunities for them, but there's loads of opportunities out there for them. Any advice for people like that? Where do they start? That's a good question. Sometimes you have to create the opportunity yourself, or mm. sometimes you have to, um, uh, uh, be able to identify an opportunity if it, it presents itself. So I would say to people, have as many conversations as you can. The more conversations you have with people, uh, the more opportunities will present themselves. So you know, spend your time having um, you know um, quality conversations with people, and then opportunities will will present themselves. Otherwise, go out and create your own opportunities. So those that's the best advice I can give. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Very cool. Listen, um, I suppose my, my, my final question, give us three top tips to people that are thinking, do you know what? This stuff sounds really good. I think I'm going to start putting this in my own business. 
But what are the three top tips about how to get started in using JVs and, and strategic alliances? Three top tips. Any thoughts? Very easy. Number one, identify your ideal customer avatar. Who is the mm -hmm. ideal customer that you serve? Number two, uh, go out and find uh, that ideal customer audience. What does that core customer audience look for? Number three, go and find someone who controls or has access to that customer audience that you're after and do a JV or a strategic partnership with them. Get them to endorse your product or service to their customer audience. Hope that helps. Love it. Love it. So, guys, hope you have in, been enjoying some of the conversations whether it be uh, broken or unbroken, by the way. <laughs> but listen, um, Sahal, I just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. We've covered a lot of stuff. Like, literally, this is like, I don't know about you, but I feel like this has been like a deep dive masterclass in how you can really go deep with this stuff. But I mean, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've got like two pages of notes already just from standing here and sort of having a great conversation. So I just want to say thanks very much and really appreciate you being on the show today, buddy. Yeah, I can say for anyone out there listening, um, uh, I wrote a very um, a pivotal, pivotal book a couple of years on the actual subject of joint ventures uh, with uh, my late um, mentor, Jay Conradson, who's the father of Guerrilla Marketing. And that book was Guerrilla Marketing and Joint Ventures. That book is normally $30 on Amazon, but I'd like to give that book to everyone for free. So if you want a copy of the book, just go to freejointurebook.com. That's freejointventurebook.com and you can download the book for there. Very cool. That is excellent. So guys, listen. So if you want uh, Sahlal's best-selling book, which he wrote back in 2014 with his business partner, then you can get it for free rather than paying the $30, which is called Guerrilla Marketing. If you go to the website freejointventurebook.com, hopefully I said that correctly, and uh, you will be able to get a free copy of that book completely for free. And uh, you can you get some great leverage um, as well. You can get some great knowledge just based on this conversation. So I just want to say thanks very much to you, Sahal. We're going to be uh, hanging out on Clubhouse, I'm sure. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff. And I'm looking forward to doing some more collaborations with you guys, uh, uh, with you, Sahal, uh, especially uh, over the next coming months. I'm really excited about where that could potentially take us. And uh, for you guys that want to come and join us, feel free to reach out because, uh, you know, you've got to be in it to win it, as I, as I like to say. So uh, from me and Sahal, I just want to say thanks very much and hope you're having a fantastic day and hope you've enjoyed today's show. So uh, thanks very much for, from me and Sahal and we'll see you soon. Take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day, and we'll see you on the next.